0: How are we doing, EV Free? We good? Are we awake? Yeah, good, good. Hey, I'm, 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 I'm so honored to be here with you today. I do have my family with me this weekend because it's a uh, it's, uh, spring break weekend for us in Arizona, so I wanted to show you a picture there. My wife Renee on the side, uh, we, we've been married for 25 years. Uh, is that pretty cool? Yeah, thank you. Uh, we got married when we were 11 years old, so that's how that works. That's how the math looks. Uh, my son Cole is 15 years old. My daughter Ruby is 18 years old, and they're hanging around here, uh, eating eating donuts a lot. By the way, this weekend out here, and uh, just kind of we're having a good time here on spring break uh, this coming week. So it's an honor to be here with you. And through so many years of my life, I've heard a lot of things about this church and your influence, and how you're helping people see Jesus more clearly. And so it's a real honor to be here with you this weekend and uh, to teach as we head into Easter time and, and wrap up a series on the book of Jonah. So if you have a Bible with you, a smartphone, tablet, locate the book of Jonah. That's where we're going to be today. And uh, you probably already know this about the book of Jonah, but it's just it's a short book. It's just four chapters long, 48 verses. The whole book of Jonah, 48 verses total. It's just two pages long in your Bible. If, if these two pages stick together, you'll miss the whole story. Okay, it is short story, two pages long. And while you're locating the, the story and in, in the book of Jonah, let me kind of get us all headed in the same direction today by asking uh, you a question. And I want to see your hands on this, just kind of so I know who we have here uh, today. Uh, how many of you have ever, in elementary Junior high, high school, how many of you have ever tried to run away from home? Just be don't be proud, but be honest, okay? Yeah, that's a lot of you have tried to run away from home at one point. I, I tried to run away from home one time in my life. I was uh the summer of my first grade year, I can remember it pretty clearly. My parents had already done something just awful in my life, had destroyed my life, and so I was running away. I uh, remember going to my bedroom, getting a bandana, tying it around a baseball bat, putting my best toys in that bandana. And I was headed to a lake. that was about five or six blocks from our house. And my whole goal, I can remember, was to hang out around that lake for the next four, or five, or six days. I was going to just kind of live off of the land, you know, and, and make my parents really nervous. Uh, the only problem was this. I got about an hour or two into my runaway experience, and I started to get hungry. And I looked inside my bandana and realized i only packed toys and no food, and so I got really hungry, and so by about two hours into my runaway experience, I already had decided to go back home, and I was in the kitchen getting something to eat before my mom even knew I ran away. (laughs) And I tell you that story just to say to you that I, I wasn't very good at running away. Okay, I wasn't very successful at running away from home. Uh, But I'll tell you something else that I have been far more successful at in my life. And that is running away from God. There have been a number of times in my life where I've tried to run away from God and resist God in my life. Maybe the most profound time was when I was headed into college. I was 18 years old and I knew God was calling me into the ministry. I knew God was calling me to be a pastor in a church, but that's when my career calling and my college choice collided. And I decided to go, uh, instead of going to a Christian college about an hour, hour and a half west of my house in Manhattan, Kansas, they call it the Little Apple, instead of going there to a Christian college, I decided to go nine hours north to Chicago, Illinois, and I was just running from God. The good news is, I I came to my senses pretty quickly. It was only a few months, the first semester, and I decided to make a turn in my life. and I started to begin to move in the direction that God was calling me to go. And I share all of those things just to ask you this question today, EV Free, and don't raise your hand on this, but have you ever felt like in your life, have you ever sensed that God was calling you to do something in your life, but you really didn't want to do it? You really didn't want to do it, and so you began to run in the opposite direction. I think most of us, whether in junior high, high school, young adulthood, been married a while, been around here for 30, 40 years, doesn't matter. Most of us can find a time where we have attempted to run away from God in our lives. And and what we say sometimes, maybe we don't phrase it just like this, but we say the same kind of thing Jonah said, and it's something like this. God, I still believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. God, I still believe you created the universe, absolutely, but I'm not going to do that. God, I still believe in you. I'll still come to church. I'll underline things in my Bible. I'll sing. I'll, I'll get in a small group for crying out loud, but I'm not going to say that to them. I still believe in you, but I'm not going to do what you're asking me to do. And what we do sometimes in our lives is we try and broker this Partial obedience contract with God, that I'll obey you but not fully. And what we learn in the book of Jonah is that partial obedience to God is complete disobedience to God. Partial obedience to God, friends, is always complete disobedience to God. And I think that's why so many of us can relate to the story of Jonah so much in our lives. Because in just 48 verses, it's really short, but in 48 verses it shows us so much of how we live on a day-to-day and week-to-week basis. So let's do this. Let's kind of take a look at where we've been the last few weeks in the first three chapters of Jonah. And then we'll dive into chapter four today and we'll wrap this thing up as we head into Easter. If you're taking notes today in Jonah chapter one, uh, the whole big idea is this, that Jonah runs from God. Jonah runs from God. He's standing at the port in Joppa, if you know the story, on the Mediterranean Sea. And God is calling him to go about 500 miles to the north to Nineveh. Everybody say Nineveh, Nineveh. to Nineveh. But he doesn't want to go to Nineveh because the people of Nineveh are the Assyrian people and they're vicious and they're arch enemies of Jonah. And and last week, if you were here, Tim and Cody unpacked that on Youth Weekend. They did a great job with Jonah chapter 3 talking about the Ninevites and how vicious they were. That's where God was calling him to go, but he didn't want to go there, so he ran like 1,000 or 2,000 miles in the opposite direction to the west to a place called Tarshish. Everybody say Tarshish. Tarshish. He heads to Tarshish. And what Jonah realizes after there's a storm and after he gets you know, thrown overboard, he realizes this, that you can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Right? You can run from God, of course, in your life, but you can't outrun God. That's what Jonah discovers, and that's what many of us have discovered in our lives, too. You can run from him, but you can't outrun him. And you know why that is? You know why you can't outrun God? I'll tell you a little secret. It's because he already knows where you're going to run. <laughs> Don't tell anybody that. But he already knows where you're going to run. When you decide to run from God or resist God's will in your life, God is not setting up in heaven going, oh, man, I wonder where he's headed. I wonder where she's going to go. This is going to be fun, try and find them. No, that's not what he's doing. Here's the thing. God already knows where you're going to run. He already knows where I'm going to run, so here's what he does. He just goes ahead and he waits for you where he knows you'll end up. You can run from God, but you can't outrun God. Jonah finds that out in chapter 1. In chapter 2, Jonah spends the whole chapter in the belly of a fish. And the whole chapter is a prayer to God from the belly of a fish. And I, it was Eddie a few weeks ago on the team here who did a great job in Jonah chapter two. And here's the big idea I want you to write down from Jonah chapter two. It's simply this, that it's never too late to pray. It is never too late to pray. Whether you're 14 years old or 16 or 26 or 56 or 76, some of you come in here today and you've had a great week. I mean, your week has been so good. It's just been killer but other of, others of you have had an awful week. You barely made it here. Some of you have had an awful month. Some of you are thinking, I wish it was a month. It's been an awful year or decade. And here's what I want to say to you. I don't know you very well, and you don't know me that well, really. But I want to say to every single one of you, it is never too late to pray. It's never too late to pray. You can always cry out to God. And when you cry out to God in your life with a humble, heartfelt prayer, he will hear you and he will rescue you in your life. Just like he did with Jonah in chapter 2. We move on to chapter 3 and look what happens. Jonah gets spit out of the fish. He gets rescued and he gets onto dry land. And and so he decides to go to Nineveh where God has been calling him. And the big idea from Jonah chapter 2 is that God is the God of second chances, Jonah chapter three, verse one says, and the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. Maybe the greatest verse in the whole book. And the word of the Lord came to Jonah, even after he'd been running a second time. He gave him another shot. And we serve a God, how many of you know, of second chances and third chances and fourth and fifth and 50th. Somebody say amen. amen. 50th chances in our lives. And that brings us up to Jonah chapter four. Uh, Jonah chapter four is just, uh, it's just 11 verses long, by the way. So I'm going to read the whole chapter four, 11 verses, and then we'll pray and then we'll see what God wants to pull out of this and what he wants to teach us today. Jonah chapter four, starting in verse one. But Jonah was greatly displeased and became angry. And we'll get to that in a little bit, but he was displeased and angry because uh, God was sparing the people of Nineveh. So he's displeased and angry. Verse two, and he prayed to the Lord, O Lord, is this not what I said when I was still at home? This is why I was so quick to flee to Tarshish. I knew that you're a gracious God, a compassionate God, slow to anger and abounding in love, a God who relents from sinning calamity. Now, O Lord, take my life, for it is better for me to die than to live. Verse four, but the Lord replied, Do you have any right to be angry? Jonah went and sat down at a place east of the city, and there he made a shelter, and he waited to see what would happen to the city. And then the Lord God provided a plant, and he made it grow up over Jonah and gave shade for his head to ease his discomfort. And Jonah was happy about the vine. But then at dawn the next day, God provided a worm, and it chewed up the vine so that it withered. And when the sun rose, God provided a scorching east wind, and the sun blazed on Jonah's head so that he grew faint, and he wanted to die. And he said, it would be better for me to die than to live. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said. I'm angry enough to die. Yeah, we get it, Jonah. You want to die, okay? You've said that 72 times, okay? But the Lord said, you have been concerned about the vine, though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. But Nineveh, get this, Nineveh has more than 120,000 people who cannot tell their right hand from their left, and as many cattle as well, should I not be concerned about that great city? And then it ends, right there. That's the whole story. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Boop, done. And that's what we're going to study today. Let's pray, and we'll dive into this. God, thanks for leading us here from all kinds of weeks. From all kinds of months, from all kinds of relationships, God, I pray that you would allow us to just uh, not worry about what's going to happen later today or later on this week. But just let us dive in right now and study your word and see what you want to teach us for our lives. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. First thing I want you to write down if you're taking notes today that I want us to see in Jonah chapter 4 is that Jonah is offended by God's grace. Jonah gets offended by God's grace. If you look again, chapter, end of chapter 3, I'm going to read this in the message version. I have the NIV on one side of my Bible, the message on the other side of the Bible. Uh, Jonah chapter 3, verse 10, uh, Jonah's offended. Look at what happens at the end of chapter 3. God saw what they had done. They had turned from their evil ways, and he did change his mind. What he said he would do, he didn't do. So God gives the Ninevites grace. He spares them. And here's what happens, verse one, chapter four. Jonah is furious. He lost his temper and he yelled at God. You ever yelled at God? It's not a good way to start a time with God by yelling at him, but Jonah yelled at God. He said, God, I knew it when I was back home. I knew this was going to happen. That's why I ran off to Tarshish. I knew you were sheer grace and mercy, not easily angered, rich in love, and ready, get this, ready at the drop of a hat to turn your plans of punishment into a program of forgiveness. Jonah says, I knew it. I knew this was going to happen. I knew you were going to do this. I knew you were going to spare these people. And Jonah can't stand the people of Nineveh. He wants God to destroy them like he did Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't this amazing, Evie Free, when you think about it? This is incredible because Jonah has been rescued by God. He's been given grace by God. But then he is offended by that very same grace. He's offended by it. And before we get too down on Jonah, isn't this something that happens in our lives as well? I mean, we all want God's grace in our lives, right? To cover over our sin, to cover over our shame and that sort of thing. But once we get God's grace in our own lives, have you ever been, just a little bit, just kind of between us here today, we don't have to tell everybody this, but have you ever been offended at kind of how God seems to just give his grace to everyone? I mean, even people who don't even really deserve it. You ever felt that way? Have you ever come into church on a weekend and seen somebody from your work or seen somebody from your neighborhood or seen somebody from school and thought to yourself, I can't believe he is here. <laughs> what is he doing here? Or what? Well, hold on. What, what is she doing here? And what we think in our minds sometimes is, you know what? They, they I know their past. They shouldn't be here. Or we start thinking to ourselves, you know what? She, she, she may be fooling some people, but she ain't fooling me. Right? That's kind of how we think it. Because I know, I, know, I know what she's about. And what happens so many times is that God rescues us. And he forgives us. And we call this thing amazing grace. Something we could never earn. Something we could never deserve. But then what happens is we start to act like we own God's grace. And we start to give God advice on who he should be giving his grace to. Do you ever do this? Do you ever put a big asterisk by God's grace? You know what an asterisk means, right? It means there's more down at the bottom of the page. I mean, here's the word, but there's a whole lot more more to this. You need to read down to the bottom because there's a lot more going on with this word. You ever put an asterisk by God's grace and you start? I do that. I sometimes I think you know God's grace is for me, of course, because I know me and I know I deserve it. You know I have a you know a real penitent heart and it's for my family, of course, and it's for a lot of my friends and and even because you're here today, you know, because you decide to come to church. I'm just going to go ahead and say God's grace is for you. But honestly, honestly, is it for every? Listen, everyone, (laughs) really. Everyone around the city here, everyone in Hollywood, everyone in New York, everyone around the world who's antagonistic towards God, is God's, come on, is God's grace really for everyone? And sometimes we wonder about that, though we may not phrase it just like that, and that's what happens to Jonah. Jonah gets all worked up because he doesn't feel like God is dispensing his grace appropriately. And so he says in Jonah chapter 4 verse 3, he says, you know what, God, if you're not going to kill them, just kill me. Just kill me. I want to die. Can't you see God up there going, seriously, Jonah? Eleven verses, if you caught that, eleven verses and three times he wants to die. Jonah's got issues. Why why does he have all these issues with God's grace? Why is Jonah so upset? Why is Jonah so angered about all these things that are going on? Here's the second thing I want us to learn from chapter 4 today, and that is that Jonah's committed to his own comfort. A big part of all of this is that Jonah is committed to his own comfort. He's far more committed to his comfort than he is God's calling and where God wants him to go and what God wants him to do. And so he just wants to die. He says, God, if this is what you're going to have me do, just kill me. I'd rather die, and you know what he does. We've already read it a couple of times. Jonah goes to the outskirts of town. It says he goes to the outskirts of town. He's sitting on the side of a hill, and he wants to see what God is going to do to the city of Nineveh. You know, so he gets a blanket and he gets some popcorn, and he's just he's watching. He doesn't say that actually, uh, but he's just he's watching to see what God's going to do to the city, right? And he's hoping that God will destroy the entire city. That's what he's hoping will happen. And you got to understand that that this area, Nineveh. The, ge- the geography is like modern day Iraq, okay? That's the geography of Nineveh, modern day Iraq, what we would call it today. And it is like desert, it is hot. It is a hot, arid place. It's like the Phoenix desert, okay? And so it says that God provides this plant. He's sitting out there and God makes this plant grow and it gives him shade. And for the first time in pretty much the whole book of Jonah, he's happy. Jonah's happy. Why? Because he's content, because his, his needs are being met, because he has shade. He feels good. But the very next day, it says that God makes this worm come, and the worm comes, remember, and it starts to kind of chew on the plant, and the plant begins to fade, and it begins to wither. And again, in verse 8, Jonah just wants to die. He's like, I just, I love, I love that shade. I love the plant. Don't like the people, but I love the plant. I just want to die. And and notice what's going on here, EV Free, don't miss what God is doing in that scenario with Jonah. Because I think it's one of the very similar things that God does to us even today, this week, this year in our lives. Here's what happens. Jonah is consumed with his convenience. So God consumes his convenience. Jonah is all consumed with his shade, the plant, being good, I'm comfortable, I'm kind of set here, I've got my thing ready. He's consumed with his convenience, so God consumes his convenience. And in our lives, in your life and mine, I don't take any great pleasure in saying this to you, but sometimes God will take away your convenience to get you to see his calling, Sometimes God will mess around with your comfort in your life to get you to see his calling for your life. Some of you are arguing with me in your head right now, and you're saying, Todd, are you saying God doesn't want me to experience comfort? Now, that's not necessarily what I'm saying. I don't think God has any problem with your comfort until it gets in the way of your obedience to his calling. Let me say that again. God doesn't have any problem with your comfort You have everything set and just right until it gets in the way of your obedience to his calling. You see, God wants to bless his children. Just like those of you who are parents. You want to bless your children, right? Absolutely. You want to take care of them. But when our blessings begin to blind us to God's call, when we choose comfort over obedience, there's a problem. And that's what's going on with Jonah. And goes on with us, Jonah is so committed to his own comfort that he can no longer see, catch this, he can no longer see what God is doing right around him. He couldn't see, Jonah couldn't see how God was going to use him right there in the city of Nineveh because he was so consumed with so many just other things in his own life. And again, before we get too down on Jonah, I just have to say that maybe not for you, but for me, I can, really, I can really resonate with this. Because there's a lot of times in my life that that happens to me, and I can tell you lots of stories. I'll, just, I'll go back a few months ago, okay? I'm on an airplane. I'm in Phoenix. Uh, I'm getting ready to fly to Florida on an all-night flight, red-eye flight. I'm getting ready to speak at a conference the next day, so I'm on an all-night flight loaded up there in Phoenix, and the plane is filling up. I'm about 25, 26 rows back on this plane, and the plane fills up about 75, 80% full, and I can tell, you know, people are just kind of, you know, not very many people are coming in. It's almost full, and as the plane fills up, I'm 25, 26 rows back, and guess what? My whole row is open on an all-night flight to Florida, and I start right then on the plane. I just kind of start having a conversation with God, saying, God, I just love you so much. God, I know you're looking out for me up there. you got a whole lot of things going on in the world, but you're giving me a whole robe. God, I'm getting ready to go be your ambassador, and you want me to be comfortable. I'm getting ready to fly all night long to preach and speak to people the next day. And you're giving me a whole row. No one else has a whole row. And a few more people start coming on the plane, you know. And those people, sure enough, they walk right on past me to the back. And as every one of them walks past me, I just start, you know, praising God, saying, that's right, Lord. You're the Lord that takes care of me. I start writing worship songs in my head, you know, about God giving rows of seats to pastors and that sort of thing. And it's just this amazing experience. And then, no kidding, it's a true story. True story. They're just getting ready to shut the door, and this one guy comes walking in, walks past 10, 10 rows, 15, 20, comes all the way back, and he stops right by my row, and he opens up the overhead bin, and he starts to put his bags in the overhead bin. And in my mind, I'm thinking, you can use my overhead bin. That's cool, but this, this is my row, okay? So as long as you can use the bins, no problem, but this, I got this you know, it's kind of scoped out. God made this for me, special. And, and so... Sure, And you know what's going to happen, right? He closes the bin, and he looks at me, and he says, "Uh, I think that's my seat. And he sits right down there in my row. And i got to tell you this, Evie Free, again, I don't want to burst your bubble about me, but here's the truth. When, When he sat down, my first thought in my mind was not, yes, somebody to talk to about Jesus. I wonder if he knows Jesus. God, you've provided this person. That was not my first thought in my mind. My first thought was this argument with God going, okay, God, I thought we had a deal. I thought I was going to travel for you, and I've lost my whole road now. And and here's here's why I tell you that whole story. It seems so petty, and it seems so silly, but I do that many times a day, many times a week in my life. I get so consumed with my own convenience uh, that I miss God's calling. I I miss what God wants to do around people right near me. Because I'm so busy doing all kinds of other things. That's what happens with Jonah. He gets committed to his own comfort, and God calls him on it. And all of us would do well to listen to God's words as Jonah chapter four wraps up because God calls him on it. He says, Jonah, listen, you need to hear this. And, and what God says to Jonah is really, can be powerful for us. Take a look at it. Jonah chapter four, verse nine, if you still have your Bible or smartphone or tablet or whatever. But God said to Jonah, do you have any right to be angry about the vine? I do, he said, I'm angry enough to die. But the Lord said, you've been concerned about this vine though you did not tend it or make it grow. It sprang up overnight and it died overnight. It died overnight. Then here's the key. But Nineveh has more than 120,000 people. Everybody say people. 120,000 people who can't tell their right hand from their left, and as many cattle as well. Should I not be concerned about that great city? Question mark. That's how God ends the whole thing. Should I not be concerned about that great city? I didn't even know you could end a book with a question mark, but I guess it's God, so he can do whatever he wants to do. But Should I not be concerned about that great city? That's the whole thing. That's the whole story. It's over. And so I'm thinking to myself, you know, the, the last few weeks I know we're going to be talking about this. I know we're going to be wrapping up this, you know, whole deal and heading into Easter. And I'm thinking to myself, you know, what, what, is, what do we learn from that? Should I not be concerned about that great city and all the things that Jonah's been through and all that, that, that sort of thing? And, and there's probably a lot of things we could take out of here today and a lot of things you could write in your notes. But here, here's just where I feel like God is, is, is kind of leading me and, and, and hopefully leading us, especially in this week that we celebrate Jesus and his resurrection, here's what I want to strike down. Third lesson, and that is that God is concerned. God wants us to be concerned with eternal things. Should I not be concerned about that great city? And what he means is the 120,000 people. Should I not be concerned about them? Jonah? And Jonah's concerns and God's concerns, how many of you know, didn't match up. It was like God is saying, hey, Jonah. Jonah. Hey, hey, over here, Jonah, we are not on the same page, okay? Your concerns and my concerns are are not the same thing. That's what he's trying to get through to this prophet. And, And I'll tell you what, this is where the story of Jonah really begins to hit home for me. Because in a very general way, in a very overarching way, in my life, I'm concerned about people, I am. I'm concerned about you. I'm concerned about neighbors. I'm concerned about people here. I'm concerned about people in Arizona. I'm concerned about people knowing Jesus. I am. In a very overarching way, I'm very concerned about that. I can stand up. I can preach it all weekend long that God is concerned about it. I'm concerned about it. But here's what I found in my own life. And this, this you may not be able to resonate with this, but this is just true about me and you need to know it. In an overarching way, I'm concerned about people. I feel that, but here's what happens to me so often. In my day-to-day life, in the everyday details of my everyday life, here's what I want you to know. There's a little bit of Jonah in me. There's a little bit of Jonah inside of me. And here's what I've discovered about myself. And again, maybe this will make sense to you. When I go get my coffee in the morning at Starbucks or something like that, I can promise you I am far, far more concerned with the length of the line to get my coffee than I am the people who are standing in line right around me. Sometimes when I go get my car washed in the afternoon, I am far more concerned with the cleanliness of my car than I am the people who are washing my car. Sometimes on the weekends especially, we order pizza to the Clark House. And I promise you this. I promise that I am so much more concerned with how rapidly the pizza arrives, and if it's hot when it gets there, than I am this person who's wandering around all over town delivering pizzas. And it's convicting to me. And I think to myself, you know what, that's just crazy. It's so crazy that I can get all caught up, and I can get all sidetracked in all kinds of things, That 24 hours from now aren't even going to matter. Like coffee and clean cars and pizza. And I can completely miss the people who are going to live forever. And I think what God wants to say to to me, to to Jonah, to, to you through all of this, he would just God, God would say, listen, do not allow, listen, Evie, Free, do not allow the temporary things in life to overshadow the eternal. Should I not be concerned with that great city? Should I not be concerned with those people? What, what God would want to say to us, especially as we head into this Easter season where so many people are, are open uh, to, to Christ and they're open to church and they're open to coming because a lot of them don't, how many of you know, don't have a place to go? And they're just waiting to be invited. They're they're open to that. I think what God wants to say to us is, is this: the only thing that you can take with you to heaven is other people. Did you know that? That's what he's saying to Jonah. Hey, the only thing you can take with you to Jonah is, uh, to heaven is those 120 other thousand people in Nineveh. You need to get you need to get serious about them, Jonah. And what he's saying to you is the only thing you can take with you to heaven is other people. It's not gonna be coffee. You're not gonna have, like, God get my coffee to heaven. No, it's, just, it's not going to be that way. I mean, I, I, I'm assuming there's coffee in heaven because there will be a Starbucks on the corner of Pearl and Gold, but that's a whole other message. <clears throat> I, I'm not even going to get into that, but you're not taking it with you. It's going to be there, maybe. Uh, I hope, but that's... I think God, you know, he's, the only thing you can take with you is that, is, is other people. And, and so what, what I guess I would just say is that, that every one of us, you know, we have a, we have a Nineveh. Especially as we head towards this Easter season, every single one of you here, whether you're here at EV Free for 30 years, or this is, you've only been here at church for 35 minutes, 45 minutes. Today's your first day. You have a Nineveh that God wants you to go to this week and, and talk to about God's grace and about Jesus. Your Nineveh may be your neighbor you know that? You know the neighbor you don't like? You know the crazy one that leaves their trash cans out three days after it's already been picked up? You know that one? You know what I'm talking about? That that may be your Nineveh. That person may be your Nineveh. You're like, no, that, that's not them. Yeah, it may be. It may be somebody at your school. It may be somebody at work. I don't know who your Nineveh is, but every single one of us has people, a person around us who needs Jesus in their life more than they need another breath of air. And my guess is what God is saying to us is, hey, just. Quit being offended by who I give my grace to. Quit being so concerned with your own convenience and start to reach out to everybody that I've placed you near, would you? Start to reach out to them because they need Jesus in their life. Let me just pull this together with one last story. It's a talk about how we need Jesus in our life and especially as we celebrate his resurrection from the grave. It's a story of one of our Ivy League schools like Harvard or Yale or Something like that. And it's a freshman physics class. And this freshman physics class is a flunk out class. It means none of the students are going to pass, you know. The, the professor's going to have to grade on a curve. Maybe you've had one of those types of classes. And it comes down to the end of the semester. And the professor does something he's never done before in the history of his class. He says, here's what you can do. He tells the students this. He says, you can all bring one 8 and a half by 11 sheet of paper into the test, into the final. And whatever you can put on that paper, you can use on the test. He's never done this before. Whatever you can put on there, you can use on the test. He was essentially telling all of his students that they could create a what? Yeah, well, A lot of you knew that. That's (laughs) scary. We have a prayer room right over here afterwards. We're going to ask everyone who uttered that to please just make their way there. Not now, but soon. You're right, a cheat sheet, a cheat sheet. And so they, you know, they all, you know, they're writing all week long. They're getting all the things down, all the physics things. They get all, their paper's just full. They come into the test early and they're comparing notes, you know, and stuff like that, making sure they have everything. The test is getting ready to start. One student walks in and this guy has just a blank sheet of paper. There's nothing on his paper. And his friends start pointing at him and saying, oh man, he, he forgot or he overslept or he didn't know what he was supposed to do. You know, he didn't understand. He's got a blank sheet of paper. And he comes in, he sits down and he just leaves that piece of paper right beside his desk. Just before the test is getting ready to start, through the back doors of the classroom, walks a senior who's graduating in the area of physics. And this senior walks in, walks right over to this young man's desk, and he just stands on the paper. Because the professor said, whatever you can put on the paper, you can use on the test. Right? I know right now some of you students are going, that's the best thing I've heard in church in a year. Okay, I'm (laughs) writing that one down. And so he's standing on the paper, and whenever he needed an answer, he just asked him for the answer. And how many of you know, he aced that test. (laughs) Amen. He aced that thing. And here's why I bring all of that up. Here's why I bring all this up. Because one of these days, there's a final exam coming in our lives, isn't there? And you and I are gonna be standing before God and our friends and our neighbors and your kids are gonna be standing before God and he's gonna say, why should I give you eternal life? Why should I give you eternal life? Why should I give you eternal life? And guess what? On your own, you do not have the right answer. And the only thing The only thing that's going to bail you out and bail me out on that day is Jesus Christ who rose from the grave coming and standing beside you and saying, oh, this guy, he's with me. Oh, this girl right here, she's with me. That's right. And a relationship with Jesus Christ, I promise you, it will save your life. Not because of what you've done, because of what he did on the cross on Easter weekend where he went and died for us, and was buried in the grave, and rose again. We're getting ready to celebrate that this next week. And so here's what I just want to say once again. Evie Free, may we, may we be the kind of people who are not easily offended by God's grace. May we not be the people who are all consumed with our own thing and our own comfort and our own convenience. May we be the kind of people who are concerned with eternal things, especially during this Easter week. Let's pray. God, thanks for today. Thanks for the opportunity we have to gather up and to to study your word and to sing to you and just recalibrate our hearts and minds towards you. God, I pray today that, that you would just allow this to sink in and that you would have taken the words that I said and you would just make them and change them and rearrange them to be just exactly what it is we need to hear in our lives this week. And God, I pray that we would be the kind of people who realize you've placed us in a Nineveh right around us and that we would not get so busy or so comfortable that we can't see what you want us to be up to in our lives. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your son. We celebrate him during these next few minutes the sacrifice he made for us. In Jesus' name we pray.